I know niche, niche marketing really well. And I'm like, I can't, this book needs to be written. It's not like a, a niche tactic. It needs to be written. Yeah. And everyone's like, Matt, no one's going to buy a book on introverted selling. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys. Thank you for joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. I appreciate your presence here. It makes it all worthwhile. So thank you for doing that. If it's the first time you've ever tuned in, I hope you enjoy the show and you come back many, many more times. If you're a returning listener, thank you for the loyalty. Thank you for the support. I really appreciate it. Guys, I've got a good one for you today. A lot of us out there are in this industry and we're entrepreneurs and we're trying to create opportunities for ourselves and our business. And the one thing holding us back is that we're introverted. We're not super comfortable in crowds and we're not comfortable networking and and trying to do that because it's not in our nature. And I have a really, really awesome guest on the show today. Someone who absolutely specializes in that issue, that problem, that challenge that you have as a, as an introvert trying to um, thrive and, like he says, dominate your industry as an introvert. It doesn't have to be a liability. It can absolutely be a strength. And he talks about that. He's an internationally recognized consultant, speaker, blogger, author, coach, serial entrepreneur with five multi-million dollar businesses uh, under his belt all before the age of 30. He is the founder and CEO of Rapid Growth, LLC. Uh, Though his client list includes multiple Fortune 500 companies, his real passion is helping small business owner end the overwhelm, eliminate the stress and guesswork, and get on a clear path to rapid growth. He has a super popular podcast called The The Introvert's Edge. Um, He's the author of a book by the same name, and he has a new book coming out that we talk about. It's coming out in a few days called The Introvert's Edge uh, in Networking. So that is a book you should definitely check out. He has been featured on Inc., Forbes, Fortune Magazine, CEO, Entrepreneur, uh, Fox, Mixergy, NBC, like all these places. He's a very, very sought after guy. He knows his stuff when it comes to sales and networking and dealing with the whole introverted side of you that is struggling to get out and get out there and do things that's going to benefit your business. So without any further ado, I want to give you the very special guest that I have today. His name is Matthew Pollard. All right, Matthew, thank you for being on the show. I appreciate you doing this. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I, I tell a lot of my guests, uh, a lot of times when we're talking before the show, I didn't tell you this, but I sit, my, my audience knows this. I do some forensic in- investigation. I try to dig into the people that I'm going to talk to so I can have a halfway intelligent conversation. Um, and uh, one of the things that you you do focus on is introvertedness, being introverted. And I've mentioned it in passing on the show quite a bit. I'm an introverted guy by nature. Uh, it, it expels a, a decent amount of energy when I have to be in a social situation, and it's, it tires me quite a bit. Some people, it kind of revs them up and, and, and charges their battery. It drains mine very, very fast. So, um, But it's interesting because this is what I do for a living. I talk to people. I'm in front of people a lot. So I think it's a cool and interesting thing. And for those of us listening who are introverted and say it's, it's very tough for me to start a business or to be in, in, in an industry like real estate because it's a very much a people industry, what do I do? I'm introverted. I hate doing this. Like, let's we'll have that conversation. It should be a lot of fun. I've never had that specific conversation with anybody before. So again, thank you for doing this, man. I, I think it's very cool of you to take time to do this. I, I really appreciate it. 
Well, mate, I'm ecstatic to be here. And, you know, the biggest thing that, you know, I focus on is making sure that every introvert out there knows that, you know, introversion is really just about how you draw your energy. That is it. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't network, you can't sell, you can't public speak. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're great at it when you first start. I mean, there is, you need a system and a, you've just got to realize that your path to success is just different to that of an extrovert. And when you yeah. embrace that, you actually beat a lot of those extroverts hands down. I yeah. think the biggest hurdle for people is that extroverts have this, oh, I'm not a great listener or I don't have the best empathy, but I'll go and learn how. Introverts go, oh, there's this gift of gab wall that I can't seem to get through. <laughs> and it's a yeah. false reality we set ourselves and we've got to stop doing that. Yeah, I totally agree, man. And I, I want to dive into it, but I want to give people some context too and get them kind of up to speed a little bit more in depth with who you are. Can you tell us a little bit about your your upbringing? I, I know a little bit about it just from the research that I did. A little bit about your upbringing and how did you get involved in and get to the point that you are now in your life as an introvert, right? Like, how did that all happen? And what did your what did your life look like, you know, as a younger person? You know, one of the things I like to say is the adversities in life kind of see the success of our future. And, you know, it's it's really interesting, but people see me speak from stage. You know, I'm listed as a, one of the top 50 speakers in the world by Top Sales World magazine. And, you know, I'm on stage all the time showing people how they can sell more effectively, how they can network more effectively, how they can tell stories. And you can tell by about two-thirds of the way in the presentation, there's these introverts in the room that have got me pegged as an extrovert because that's what we do. We project extroversion on people yeah. that are successful. Yep. I mean, it doesn't matter that Zig Ziglar, one of the best sales trainers in the world, was an introvert or Ivan Meisner, the founder of BNI, the world's largest networking group, is an introvert. We still project extroversion on everyone that we see that we see as successful. Yep. And that's what happens to me a lot because people see me as I am today. They don't see the kid with horrible acne, braces, and a reading issue growing up and go, oh, yeah, well, amazing. He's managed to do it. I can do it too. Yeah. So the thing that I try to help people understand is, you know, when I was in late high school, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader. I was super introverted. I mean, luckily enough, I got diagnosed with this thing called Erlen syndrome, which basically means I put on this funny colored lenses and all of a sudden I can learn to read. Now, I can't read like everyone else, but I can start the process of learning. Mm. So the last two years of high school for me was this hustle to get, and I got into the top 20% of my state, but you know, I was exhausted. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life because I was at that point. And I think the years of being the slow kid, now the slow kid with funny lenses and braces and acne had kind of beaten me down a fair bit. So yeah. my whole family agreed that I was going to take a year off to just go and find myself. And, you know, I, I took a job at a real estate agency. And before you think I was the person out selling, I wasn't. I was the, the guy in the back office doing data entry with a look on my face like, don't talk to me. I'm here to find myself. Yeah, right? I was, yeah. I was happy being by, my, by myself. And about three weeks into that job, and it was literally three weeks, my boss comes up to me. He's Matt, Matt, I'm so sorry. We just found out from head office they're closing down this premise. You're out of a job. Now, this is Australia at Christmas time. Now, we go on holidays. I mean, everything's backwards in Australia, right? So it's we go on holidays on the 20th of December. We don't come back to the 15th or 20th of January. Now, I mean, Mike, you're an employee. I mean, how many people are you hiring if you're about to go on a month-long holiday? Like, yeah, nobody, yeah, right? Like, it's no, just no. Plus, it's end of the year. Like, nobody has a budget at that point. Like, a lot of times, people kind of get that budget for new people at the beginning of the year. So, yeah, it, it doesn't happen. 
Well, absolutely. And especially in Australia, I mean, the, the thing is you've got to pay a month-long holiday for people. Like we give people yeah. four weeks and a lot of times <laughs> they take all four weeks off at that time. Yeah. It's like, you know, cash flow, even if you're doing well, it's like yeah. be mindful at that time. Yeah. So here I am. I found out I'm out of a job. And, you know, I watched my dad break his back for 80 hours a week to support the family. There was no way that I was going to just go, sorry, dad, I'm out of a job. I'm just going to sit and watch Oprah for, for the next month. Exactly. So I pulled out the classifieds and I literally read through them. And there were only really three jobs in the paper. They there are all these things called commission-only sales jobs. And I mean, the thought of that daunted me, but I was like, oh, I'm not going home and saying I don't have another you know, plan. So I applied for all three jobs. And I was actually pretty proud of myself. I got all three interviews and then I got all three jobs and, you know, oh. I took a job in business to business telecommunications. And then I found out on day one, my manager's favorite saying was we just throw mud up against the wall and we see what sticks. Well, <laughs> fun saying until you realize you're the mud, right? Yeah. So here I am after five days product training, not a single second of sales training. And I get thrown on this road called Sydney Road in Melbourne, Australia. I mean, this is like a thousand doors on both sides. And I've, I have this realization that I've got to sell and I have no idea what to say. I've just had product training. That's it. Now, you know, during my presentations, I put up this slide of me with bad acne. And I literally say, this is me at my sister's wedding. You're going to get to see it for two seconds. Click, click. That's it. Because, you know, people need to see that, you know, I was embarrassed walking in about my, you know, my general look as well, not just not knowing what I was going to say. So I walk in the first door and actually, luckily I got, you know, politely told to leave shortly after (laughs) that, it was less politely than I was sworn at. But my personal favorite was, why don't you just go and get a real job? I mean, this was the only job I could get, right? But that just happened door after door after door. And so I got to my 93rd door and I made my first sale. And I remember I was ecstatic for about 45 seconds until I had that second realization, I got to do this tomorrow and the next day and the next. <laughs> and I think this is what happens a lot in, especially in real estate. You know, we, we find out that, oh my gosh, this sales thing is actually quite difficult. Yeah. And we do one of two things. We either give up, which is what 18 of the 20 mud up against the wall salespeople that were part of my training group did, yep. or they buy into this whole hustle, we'll just grind it out kind of concept. But I mean, even that, looking down the barrel of a year of that life was was not okay for me. So I made a different decision. I think I made it because the world never worked for me the way it worked for everyone else. And the decision I made is sales had to be a system, a system like anyone, anything else. So I thought, well, where can I learn this system? And, you know, I looked at books like Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar, but I mean, let's be honest, I had a reading speed issue. It would have taken me a year to read them. So I actually discovered YouTube and I typed in the words, the sales system, and all these videos came up. And so I started focusing on learning the system. And every day I would spend eight hours in the field testing something out and then going back and spending eight hours at home practicing the next element. Weekends were great. I'd spend 16 hours practicing. Now, I'm sure this doesn't sound fun. I mean, Mike, I can't imagine that being fun for anyone, right? No, no, it's not. First of all, door-to-door sales is perhaps one of the most grueling things you can possibly ever endeavor to do. But I will also say people who have done door-to-door sales, who are in sales professionally, will look back and say that was pretty probably the most valuable thing I could have done because it it conditions you and it kind of toughens you up a little bit to all those notes. I want to say one thing though, one thing that jumped out at me all that. So you guys watch Oprah in, in Australia? That's a thing? <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned we that you did didn't want to tell your dad. Was, back when I was still in school, Oprah was on. I don't, I don't think I partake. Uh, I, I didn't watch it that often. But uh, I, didn't know, think she I had... think if I was at home stuck with nothing else to do, yeah. well, that is, isn't that the thing that right. everyone watches? So, she, so the fact of the matter is she has, at, at one point, she did dominate the entire world, apparently. So I thought it was just the state she dominated. Nope, she, she dominated no, everything. The entire world. I owe, my wife world. An, I owe my wife an apology because I give her a hard time about Oprah. But apparently it's... She's big. Okay, good enough. Well, I, I will say we're from Australia, though, right? So we idealize everything that 
everyone loves in America, right? It's just who we are. So I'm not sure if you go to Singapore or, or Beijing, you'll find the same thing. But All Australia, right. definitely, you know, we were, we were big fans of Oprah. But, yeah. you know, this was this was me. So I, you know, focused on that and practiced and practiced. And, you know, the thing that I found, though, is shortly after learning to focus on the sales system, soon it was 75 doors, then it was 48, then it was, you know, 14, and then it was nine and then it was three. I got it down to an average of making a sale every three doors, completely door-to-door cold calling. And about six weeks in, my manager pulled me into his office and I thought I was in trouble. I mean, he just had this weird look on his face. And I mean, I was the quiet guy that handed my paperwork in downstairs, went upstairs, let all the boisterous salespeople talk about how hard the market was and kept to myself. He just looks at me and he's like, Matt, we just printed out the national sales report. It turns out you're the number one salesperson in the company. And I mean, this was the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere. I mean, it, would t- it took six weeks to go from terrified to the number one. So obviously they went, oh, you're a great salesperson. You'll be a great manager. Yeah. So they gave me a team. I don't know why people think that that is true. Yeah. It is so not. They gave me a team of 20. They all quit within 24 hours. I was terrible. <laughs> but I went back to YouTube, learned how to manage, got promoted about seven times in about 12 months after that, and then started up my own B2B cell phone company, which turned out to be the largest brokership B2B cell phones in, in the country, fast forward just shy of a decade, I'd been responsible for five multi-million dollar success stories. Wow. And that was when I decided, you know, I might try out this United States thing. Apparently it's a bigger market. You know, <laughs> back then I didn't know anything about online. So yeah. I, I thought I had to come here. Now, gosh, I could have done it from Australia and, yeah. and probably done just as well. But that's that's what got me here and uh, eventually led to the book that I created. That's amazing. So I tell people all the time, I, I kind of have this, I when I get interviewed, it's a story that I tell, but I say it's interesting. I worked in the automotive industry for a number of years. And I always say one of the big mistakes people make in, in that industry, and probably a lot of industries, because they did it in yours too, is they take the most, like in the automotive industry, they'll take the most talented engineer in the engineering department and they'll promote him or her to engineering manager. And it, it always fails because they're not necessarily a great leader of people or a great manager. They're great at what they do, right? Um, the other thing is, is I got to get to work to have YouTube sponsor this episode because, man, what a great, uh, what a great success story just from going to YouTube and YouTubing things and trying to figure out how to increase your skill set or to learn a new skill. But I do the exact same thing. When I want to learn something, it's exactly where I go is YouTube. And that's where you know, I find it. always blows my mind how many people will spend thousands on programs before checking whether they can do it. And then, and then they're the ones that will tell you, I don't have much money. So, you know, I really, you know, I need a discount on the program. And I'm like, I learned how to sell watching YouTube. In all my interviews, I talk about the fact that I learned on YouTube. I mean, I put out a ton of free content on YouTube to try and return the favor for all the great advice that I received off it. Yeah. I think a lot of people do. And I, I, I just, it surprises me how often people don't try to learn the systems themselves. And I think what it is, is we're always focused these days on that instant gratification, the quick win, the, the, shine, the silver bullet, if you like. Yeah. And for me, I, I didn't look at that. I went, what is the system? And then I, you know, I gravitated to finding the one that I felt more comfortable with. And then I focused on perfecting it and looking for other things to bolt on. I mean, even with sales, it surprises me, but they're like, oh yeah, I'm reading this system and this system and this system. And I'm like, no, no, no. sales is not mixed martial arts. Like you learn (laughs) one system, you can't piece everything together from multiple systems and expect it to work. Learn one and then test other things and one at a time. Otherwise it'll blow up in your face like a science experiment. You know what? Know what caused it. Yeah. Yeah. You have no control 
control. You have no idea what is making the impact, right? I just said the same thing in marketing to folks that are trying to do marketing in their business. You can't change five variables and then make a determination. You don't know what did it, right? So you have to do one at a time. Man, I love that. So learning how to be a good salesperson, some of it was grinding it out for sure. Some of it was YouTubing. And then what I'm impressed with, though, honestly, I, I what I expected you to say to me was they made me the sales manager. Everyone hated me. They quit. And I went back to just doing sales and being great at that. But you said, no, I went back and said, OK, this, so this is a skill that I don't have. I'm going to go develop that skill and then I'll be good at that, too. And uh, I, that's that's amazing. And it's really interesting, too, because I know the feeling you said when you would come back after work or whatever and all the boys salespeople be like talking and whatever, probably bragging and all those things. Like you were just all by yourself. I would have done the same thing. Like I would, I don't want to be involved necessarily always in that kind of, uh, that kind of talk or that kind of activity. It's just like, ugh, I just would rather just deco because if I'm going to be on the road all day selling, selling, which I've never done, it would be very stressful for me, but I would need to recharge my battery with silence. I would not want to talk, you know, to continue my day. So, you know, you mentioned that you speak, you're, you're a speaker, you're a very sought after speaker. When you're on stage, a lot of times, I don't know how it works and di different events are different, but sometimes folks have access to you after you get off stage and then they're they're asking questions and things. My guess is once that's all done, you go back to your room or you hop on a plane or whatever and it's just you just need silence for a while. Like you can't just, so it's like this on stage, you have this high, you're talking to people. For me at some point, I have to be alone. I have to be, but other people are like, no, bring it on. Like I want more interaction. I, I just, I can't do that. I like to be by myself. You know, it's interesting. So Jim Cascard is actually a really close personal friend of mine and he's well known as one of the most award-winning speakers, if not the most award-winning speaker in the world. And, you know, he came and spoke at a conference that I run called Small Business Festival. You know, we put on hundreds of free events across the country to support small business every year. And they're all, you know, all free. And Jim, we have a, a feature event every year where we run it in Austin, Texas. And Jim, because he's out of our friendship, he decided he'd come and be the closing speaker. And so he came and spoke at the event. And, you know, Jim and I were really involved in this event for like three days. Here was the difference. At the end of that three days, he wanted to go down Rainy Street and enjoy the live music capital of the world. And yeah. of course, him being my friend, I had to take, I've never had to ask a person in their 70s before if I can please go home at midnight. But I, you know, for me, all I wanted to do was go home. I mean, that you ask, what do I do, you know, after a speaking event? The answer is I will answer questions. And I'm, you know, Ryan Dice, another introvert, by the way, who runs Traffic and Conversion Summit, he'll only speak at events if there's a back entrance that he can walk in and out of. He's not afraid of speaking from stage. He's afraid of being public by yeah, people when he goes yeah. down. For me, I'm very happy to go down. I love answering questions because I'm really passionate about what I do. Yeah. But when I finish, it's like I've, it's like a kid who enjoyed all the rides at Disneyland. Yeah. I get home and I hit the pillow and I am out. And I mean, I for me, I want to go home. I want to put a hoodie on. I want to watch some Netflix show I've watched a thousand times before so I don't have to think. And yeah. I'm just, I zone out in a very dark room. That's so funny, man. I, you know, people ask me, like, I get asked in interviews and, and people have asked me just personally in my life, like, what do you do for fun? What do you do in your downtime? And for me, what I've realized as I've gotten older, what my brain needs is to not have to work. So I do the exact same thing. When you say that, I'll watch something that either I've seen before or that requires literally no thinking. So like a, a crime, murder, mystery, like I don't want to watch that. I don't want to watch something intense. I want to watch something mindless or something I've already seen. So my brain literally has to do no lifting at all. It's so funny you say that. I do the exact same thing. So at night, after I've had a, even a long day of work, my my way to unwind is to watch TV, something simple or, you know, something mindless. 
That's exactly what I do. It's so funny. I've never met anybody who said that, but that's exactly what my brain, and I know I need it. And my wife knows that. So like if we, if she goes to bed at like midnight, she knows I'm staying up because it's more important for me to get that downtime than it is for me to get that extra hour of sleep. Yeah. And I've had people say to me exactly that. You've got another presentation at nine o'clock. You'll have to get up at six. Like, why Why are you up at you know 11 o'clock at night? And I'm like, because I know I'll be better tomorrow if I have the unwind that if I go to sleep, because I won't be a great, it won't be a great sleep if I haven't had that yeah. downtime. And that, but that brings me to another point around you know, introversion and being honest about your energy levels. I think one of the big things that introverts struggle with, and I mean, you know, networking and sales, we, we can do those things. It just, it tires us out. But when, I mean, People ask me all the time and they say, Matt, you're coming to this event. You know, we'd love to take you out to dinner the night before. And they do it because they think I'm going to be lonely. Right? <laughs> the thing for me is I know that my ability to be successful in the morning, now if it's an afternoon presentation, fine, but my ability to be successful in the morning is making sure that I have nothing to think about the night before. I then yeah. get up super early. I go through my presentation. I practice. And, you know, I'm up, I'm up four hours before a nine o'clock presentation to make sure I'm ready and rock solid for that event. Now, I don't mind going out to dinner, but I tell people that my preference would be because, I mean, they paid me a lot of money to come to that event. And I also think that they'll have more questions after they see the presentation than before. Yeah. So I highlight to them that while I'd be very happy to come for dinner, you know, because of my energy levels, which I'm very honest with, my preference would be to catch up for dinner afterwards. And I said, you can bring a couple of VIP people to dinner then as well, because they won't yeah. know who this guy is the night before or care. Yeah. But the night of, they're like, oh my gosh, I've got thousands of questions I need to ask. Yeah. So I make it an advantage. But I mean, my family knows about my introversion. You know, they know I'm going to disappear for an hour over Christmas because I'm just going to look at my phone, <laughs> you know, idiotically for an hour. But, you know, that's what I need yeah. just to recharge. As long as you're honest with it, I mean, even going to a Christmas party, you know, the Chicago Tribune reached out to me about writing what I do to survive the Christmas season. And I'm like, everyone knows I'm introverted. So they know that I'm not going to be the first to arrive, but I'm probably going to be one of the first to leave. But again, I'm regimented with my time. And because I tell people that I'm introverted, people don't mind if I leave. If I say I have an early morning meeting, they're like, oh, and I've got to charge up. They're like, I totally get it because I'm honest. And more than that, every extrovert in the room, like Jason Cohen, the founder of WP Engine, also an introvert, he says it's like it's like a superpower. As soon as I start to speak, all the extroverts in the room quieten everyone else down to listen to me. But if they don't know, they're just like, who's this guy that doesn't really have much to say? Yeah, man, I tell you what, I so I make it. A, I'm not I'm not like a guy who who gets people on a show and like tries to challenge them and, and make it an uncomfortable interview. So I'm typically, I see people's point and I can understand their viewpoint, but I've, I've yet to meet someone who I feel so aligned with when it comes to energy and being an introvert, because most people I interview are extroverts or they're projecting that. And I don't know, cause we're not talking about it. So I assume they're an extrovert. Um, but yeah, that whole, that whole dinner thing, it made me laugh so hard that whole dinner thing before, because they think you're going to be lonely. Introverts don't get lonely guys. Just so you know, we don't get lonely. So when I go into to an event, a lot of times I'm speaking at, I, I have one event that I speak at every year called flip hacking live. And it's packed with a ton of my friends who are speaking too. like, we know each other. We know each other for years. I love these guys. And they always want to get together too right before the event, right? And I, I'm the same way. I would so much rather sit in my hotel room and do mindless nothing because I'm going to be better if I can do that. Or if I have to go to dinner or whatever, like if that's a thing, I, I want to do it as early as possible so I can get back early. I, I call my wife and I'll go, 
the greatest night ever. It's seven o'clock and I'm back in my room. I have nothing to do for the next three hours. This is the greatest, you know? Um, so I, I totally understand what you're saying. What do you, what do you tell people though, who say like, I, I just can't, I can't summon that, that whatever it takes to, to be social when I need to be social. Like it's hard for me. Do you have any strategies or things that you recommend to people who just really struggle with how to, how to get it started in a, in a, in a, in a surrounding where they have to be social? Yeah, sure. And I, I think you actually answered it in your own statement beforehand. What you said is you interview a lot of people that you don't know whether they're introverted or not because they project extroversion. And I yeah. think that's a lot of the reason why most people struggle to muster the energy to go do it because they it's, it's two things. It's one is that takes a ton more energy, but second, they feel inauthentic when they're doing it. Yeah. And so there's this incongruency inside them that just feels horrible. Yeah. So the one thing that I'm really focused on is helping people realize that they don't need to be extroverted. As, as a matter of fact, that's a disadvantage. And, you know, Ivan Meisner has got these great statistics that he took at BNI, where this, the specific characteristics that led the most you know loved characteristics in networking were actually introverted characteristics, like active listening and things like that. Yeah. The things that people didn't like was self-promotional kind of stuff, which is more extroverted behavior. Yeah. So the things that you feel like you need to do that you, by the way, suck at doing don't actually need to be done. As a matter of fact, they have a very negative effect. So the thing that I always suggest is what happens is when people go to networking rooms, that what an introvert, you know, a very introverted person generally avoids thinking about it the whole way to the event. And then it pops up in their calendar and they're, oh no, can I get out of this? No, okay, no, I can't. I'm going to go because maybe I'm financially desperate or maybe I just lost my job or whatever. So I'm going to go to that event because desperation has to be there to push yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then you get to that event and you go, okay, I've got one of two options. And you make this choice based on how desperate you are. But option one is transactional networking, which we see a lot of extroverts do. Do you want to buy from me? No. Do you want to buy from me? No. Do you want to buy from me? No. Oh my gosh, I would hate to do that. Yeah. Then you've got that aimless networker that's determined never to be that person. And you know, a lot of extroverts fit in this box as well. But they're the people that you know either sit by themselves or speak to a couple of people in, you know, they're friends with, or they speak loosely around topics, darting around what it is that they do to not make things uncomfortable. And then at the end, they walk out with all these business cards of people they have very shallow relationships with. What does the average introvert do? I don't even have time to meet the friends I have. I'm not going to waste my time with these people. <laughs> so it's a waste of yeah. time. What you need to do as an introverted networker is realize that 90% of all success in networking happens before you even walk into the room. So the first thing is, if you know that when somebody asks you, what it is that you do and your answer is going to be I'm a business coach or I'm a branding consultant or I'm a real estate agent the person's going to go oh I know what that is I don't need it or I'm looking for one like uh, one of those yeah. how much do you cost neither of those are great conversations because one is I'm either going to have to shove down their throat what they don't what they just said they don't want or I'm going to have to dodge the price question that just came up straight away because you know what? I mean, anyone that knows anything about sales, price should come last, right? Yeah. So now I'm stuck in this awkward conversation and I know that's what I'm going with. That's why I want to be aimless and stay away from talking about it. So as an introvert, you have to realize that there are ways to change that balance and explaining what you do in a way that sidesteps that commodity bucket. There's also events that you should go to and events that you shouldn't go to. Introverts also are great at opening up the fire hose of dialogue information. And then they'll walk out going, I gave him so much value and he didn't hire me. I don't understand why. Not because you helped him, even though that's what you intended to do. And I know that it's because you overwhelm them with information that 
freak them out as opposed to just telling great stories that you prepared earlier so you're not stuck in your head. And then these days, I mean, if you go to a networking event and you haven't researched the event to make sure your ideal customer demographic is there. And then secondly, these days I can look at all the profiles of most people that have been tagged on photos from the last event, you know, connected to the meetup group. And even in digital events, I have a lot more of an advantage. If you haven't done all of that, you're wasting your time when you get there. When I go to a networking event, I know exactly what I'm going to say, exactly who I'm going to speak to, and exactly what is going to trigger their interest because I've researched it in advance. I mean, you already heard Mike say he was a sleuth and he you know, figured out all the stuff to talk to me about before this interview. And that's an interview where we're just having a chat. But if yeah. you really want to get a job out of this or really want to get a new client out of it, or by the way, those are the two people that are least important in the networking room, the momentum partners, the people that can share the value of what you do and you for them, and the people that champion your work. They're the real people you want to meet when networking. Yeah. But if you haven't figured out any of this, don't bother going to a networking room. When you have, you seem to have an advantage over everyone else, even those extroverts that are just winging it because an extrovert just is happy to have a chat. And that doesn't go anywhere either a lot of the time. Yeah, you brought up, man, what a great point. And I, I think that, I think extroverts make this mistake and, and introverts certainly can too, is the the whole research, know what, your, know what your goal is. What are you trying to get out of this? Who are you going to talk to? What are you going to say? And maybe if you're introverted, like painfully introverted, have some stories that you've that you know you're gonna you're gonna share. I love that, and I, you know, I think it's interesting too. In my experience, at least, introverts have this insane envy of extroverts. Like they think they need to be extroverted, and it's like it almost hurts the introvertedness because it makes you feel like there's something wrong with you, which does nothing but drive you further into being an introvert. Um, but I like what you said: the the active listening and some of the skill sets that introverts n- have more naturally because of the way that they conduct themselves is really conducive to. Leaving an impression or being thoughtful or, or when you do speak, people want to listen because you're not just going, you want to buy from me? You want to buy from me? You want to buy from me? Because you can see those like wild extroverts coming a mile away in the room. They're like a tornado going around the room. And it's like, ugh. you know, it feels a little bit, like you said, very transactional. And I, I love that, man. I love that. I love those those techniques. And some of this stuff, I assume you you wrote a few books and I want to I want to talk about those because I think that they're fascinating. I uh, had not heard of them before I, I started researching you, but I'm, I'm excited to, to buy them. Uh, the introvert's edge and the introvert's edge to networking. I assume some of these techniques you're talking about are in the books, but what drove you to write these books? Well, why did you take that step and do that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, well, the, the answer is different for both books. So okay. the first book I didn't want to write. I, I really did not want to write it. I mean, I just told you about all my reading speed issues. I mean, can you imagine yeah. writing a book? No, no, thank you. So, I mean, I, I was actually an award-winning blogger, but I, I, I basically yell at you for 1,500 words in every blog post. And let's face it, an introvert learning how to sell, which is what the first book is on, I mean, yeah. it's it's confrontational enough. The last thing you want to be is yelled at for 50,000 words, right? Yeah. It's just, no, thank you. Yep. So for me, you know, that was a really big hurdle. So what happened was when I started speaking from stage, I would, you know, get to two thirds of the way through the presentation, as I said, and people would project extroversion on me. So I'd tell my introverted journey before I would get to sales, because I look at rapid growth as three steps and sales is step three. Like a lot of things you can succeed before you even get to sales, you know, by creating a point of differentiation, niche marketing down and, and then, you know, focusing on a sales system, but I'd get into sales systemization. And then I'd tell my own personal journey 
and, and my path to sales. And people would come up to me afterwards and go, oh my gosh, I had no idea as an introvert that I could sell, right? No one ever talks about this. And it, it's true. I mean, you know, Zig Ziglar, I only found out he was an introvert by interviewing his son, Tom Ziglar, also an introvert that runs the company now on my podcast, The Introvert's Edge. You know, Jeb Blunt, the, uh, you know, one of the biggest sales leaders in the world right now, he's an introvert, right? He wrote the forward for my next book because he was like, Matt was the first one that ever came out and just publicly said, I'm an introvert and I'm going to teach you how to do it. But yeah. most of the people at the top 10%, I mean, this isn't new stuff. Brian Tracy says the top 10% of all sales performers have a planned presentation. Well, what do you think introverts are good at? Planning and preparation. Extroverts like to wing it. The problem is the bottom 80% just say whatever comes out of their mouth. And well, that's us introverts without a plan, right? Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> when I got, got the idea of this book, I started to tell every introverted sales trainer I knew on the planet that they should write this book because I felt <laughs> like it would sell a mint. Yeah. I know niche, niche marketing really well. And I'm like, I can't, this book needs to be written. It's not like a, a niche tactic. It needs to be written. Yeah. And everyone's like, Matt, no one's going to buy a book on introverted selling. And I'm like, how is this possible? There's 2000 books on extroverted sales. How is it that nobody thinks that this will work? <laughs> anyway, what happened was I worked with a ghostwriter as a, it was a client of mine who made 27,000, I think in 2013, 12 by October of 2014, when he reached out to me and within two weeks, he'd made 40,000, six weeks, he'd made 80. By the end of the year, he'd made 120. The following year, he made just shy of 300,000. And he's like, Matt, you've got to put these ideas into a book. And I explained, I agree, it needs to be in a book. I just don't want to do it. So we agreed that we'd work together on putting together this book that explained the introverted method to selling that really, you know, got rid of no bulldog techniques, no hard closing, just a natural step-by-step -step process that leads to a sale. I mean, it got endorsed by Harvard, by Princeton, by Marshall Goldsmith, by Neil Patel. It just exploded. I mean, Book Authority listed as the number two book ever written for introverts. HubSpot listed as one of the most highly rated sales books of all times. I mean, it's got over a thousand five-star reviews wow. and it just exploded. So I was so ecstatic to see the effect that that had on so many people. But what happened was my publisher started reaching out about what's the next book. And I'm like, you know what? We'll see. You know, let's just put it off. The first one, I mean, literally, I would get the ghostwritten manuscript and he'd send me 5,000 words. I'd listen to it with a text-to-voice robot voice. Yep. And then I would put comments on it. I mean, it was horrible work for me to do. And I like a conversational tone. So, you know, it was, it was a lot to do. So, yeah. but what changed my mind was there was this kid in Buffalo, New York, who got hold of my book. One of uh, his father had bought my book and put it on the coffee table. And his son was always into business books. And we're talking like this kid who had a hoodie on, looked at his shoes most of the time, never spoke to anyone. And he had very little friends at school. And he picked up this book and he read it. And he thought to himself, if you can systemize the process of selling, I wonder if you can systemize the process of making friends. And he carried my book around for like a month, all around to every, you know, school. And he started to make friends. The hoodie went away. He started to make friends. There's now a girlfriend in the picture. His life is different. Like Derek and I interviewed him and Derek cried for like 10 minutes <laughs> after the interview. He's just so wow. emotionally connected to it. And I was like, you know what? This is the book that needs to come next. Yeah. And, you know, it was really perfect timing because, you know, when I moved to the U.S., you know, I left my whole network and I really, I'd awkwardly fostered that network through my success in business. When I moved here, 
I, you know, I moved into the cons- consulting world. It's the first time I was selling me. Yeah. So you can't cold call as easily when you're selling yourself. You can't sell yourself as expensive hourly rate when you're, <laughs> you know, you're, you're cold yeah. calling and pitching people hardcore. Yeah. So there had to be a different method. So, you know, I really worked out that when you went to networking rooms, how to position yourself differently, how to structure what you said, how to tell stories and how to create a different event. And, you know, that led me to be, I mean, I was the most, I was invited to events a year after getting to Austin, Texas as one of the most networked people in the city. And, you know, from there, I'm now, you know, global guru list me as one of the top 30 global influencers. I've won all these global awards and that's all because of the way I digitally network. By the way, I don't spend any money on ads. So, and I'm not saying I won't in the future. I just haven't found it necessary yet. And that really was what got me to go, okay, this needs to be put in the introvert's edge to networking. So the next the introvert's edge to networking teaches people how to be successful in the networking room, but it's completely designed so that once you're successful in the networking room, you never have to go back to a room like that unless you truly want to. Because if you can't articulate the value of what you provide face-to-face when someone's politely listening to you for two minutes, how are you going to do it digitally when people give you a split second until they're right. like, see ya, close window. That's awesome. So the, so the second book actually covers not just networking in person, but networking digitally as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this it's it's interesting the way people use digital and what occurred to me, I mean, when I moved to the US, I decided, I mean, every business that I created in Australia with bricks and mortar, telemarketing, direct sales. And when I moved to the US, I went, you know, if I want to have this ability to travel home and see my family, I'm going to have to have an online business. Like, it's just the way it's going to have to be. Yeah. But I didn't even know how to change the word that to the word that on a website. And then what I realized is I don't want to be that guy that's taking a photo of my donut for something to say. Yeah. But what I realized is a lot of the people that podcast every day, that blog every day, and, you know, I'm not saying they're not passionate about it, but a lot of people feel that it's necessary because what it is is they have such a commoditized message, such a vanilla message, they have to work harder than everyone else mm. to get to the top. That's and what I realize is if you have a strong message that separates you, which I'm happy to explain how, I think it might be helpful for people to understand how to do that. And I'm happy sure. to share that with you in a second. But if you understand how to separate yourself from everyone else and you've got really clear messaging that breaks through the noise, I mean, you don't have to work anywhere near as hard and you can get your ideal clients in a lot of ways. I use technology, psychology, and strategy to get my ideal clients to chase me. And I don't write many blogs. I'm very, you know, I'm, I'm on social, but really only commenting to people that, you know, add value to the stuff that I'm putting out there all the time for free to help people. You know, for me, I found a great way where, you know, online doesn't run my life, but it, it fuels the mission and the purpose that I'm on. I love it. Let's talk about how the, how you separate yourself because I think it's relevant in sales and it could be relevant in a lot of different applications. And I'm interested. I, I think that that's a, that's a cool topic that I would love to hear your thoughts on how you do that because you said something that I've never heard anyone say before. And I, I think it's 100% true. It was a little bit of a revelation when you were saying it. I was like, my gosh, that's true. Is people who have a weak offering or a very vanilla offering have to work so much harder because no one is looking for it. It doesn't wow anybody. It doesn't, it's not different. They're not separating themselves. So you have to just keep putting it in front of them, hoping that if you show it to them a hundred times, they'll eventually click on it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how to separate yourself. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that's, that's the networking equivalent of, do you want to buy from me? No. Do you want to buy from me? No. What about now? What about now? Are you up for it now? No. What about now? Are you up for it now? No one wants to do that. Yeah. Right. So the thing you've got to realize is that if you have strong messaging, you, you will break through the noise. And actually, you know what, let's talk about, I actually had a, a, a client that came to me a while back and he did what's called commercial real estate syndication. 
And, you know, I know, I know that a lot of people are doing single family homes and things like that. And it will work exactly the same. You know, I've used this methodology in everything from pharmaceutical sales right through to, to real estate, you know, right through to ghostwriting, right? It, it works no matter what the industry is. But this guy had a real problem because people would ask him what he did. And, you know, he said, oh, I'm in real estate syndication, which to me sounds like a Ponzi scheme, right? It just it sounds <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I'm about to give you a lump sum of money. You're then going to tell me I'm getting financial returns, but I'm never getting my money back. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's the way it sounded to me. And that's the way it sounded to a lot of people. Yeah. So he had a father, a father-in-law that was, that was a doctor and he kept getting clients from, you know, from his father-in-law who suggested him clients. But whenever he met someone that he wasn't referred, they'd ask him what he did. And they just looked at him like he was doing something dodgy. Yeah. <laughs> so he was like, well, what do I do to try to tra- tra- transition that? I said, well, help me understand the clients that you work with. And so he helped me understand that, firstly, with commercial real estate, you have to earn a lot more money to be involved because you can't have thousands of people involved. You can only have a few people. Mm -hmm. So people have to earn a higher amount of money to be able to be part of this syndication group. And I said, well, that sounds a lot to me like arbitrage, right? Like because of the fact that they earn a great deal of money, they're able to buy a property cheap and sell it high or rent it out for a high profit. Mm -hmm. And so they're making money out of the arbitrage that their high income affords them the ability to do. Is that a fair statement? That is fair. He's like, yeah, absolutely. I said, okay, so if that's the case, I said, tell me about all the clients that you work with. And it seemed to be that you know, the clients that his, his you know, doctor father was introducing to were surgeons, neurosurgeons, you know, doctors, other people that are in the medical world. Yep. I said, well, the world of medical is really interesting, by the way, because everyone thinks that they've got it made, right? They're making so much money but they also spend so much money. They found this way of creating these ridiculously expensive lives. They have kids that are going to Harvard. They've got the the fancy car. They've got the fancy house. They're spending money as fast as it comes in. And at some point in their lives, they realize, you know, I'm starting to get pretty old and I have no idea how I'm going to support this earnings into the rest of my life. So they, they feel like they're kind of golden handcuffed to their job because as soon as they quit, their life, you know, their life is going to plummet in the way that they live it. Yeah. So they're starting to look for opportunities. Now, while, you know, a lot of these, you know, single homely home families and, you know, residences and, you know, condos, they're okay ways to make money and they, they get good returns. You need to have time to really pick and choose the right property. Well, what does doctors and account, you know, doctors and surgeons not have? Time. So what happens is they buy properties really quickly because they went to an investment seminar. They buy the wrong place property because the people that are spending, you know, earning 50 to $100,000 a year, they're really careful with their decisions and they get the best choices because they're willing to negotiate, not just pick something on a whim. So they end up buying the wrong properties that end up costing them money, not making the money. And now they're worse off and they feel like they're a landlord and they've got a full-time job. So I said, why is it that, what if we were to take a step back and instead of focusing on everyone, what if we were to just focus on the doctors and the surgeons, the people in the medical world, breaking free of these handcuffs? And what if we were to call you, instead of a syndication expert, what if we were to call you the arbitrage architect? So now he meets people and people say, what do you do? And he says, oh, I'm the arbitrage architect. People go, oh, what exactly is that? Yeah. And of course, he's at a networking event where doctors and surgeons hang out. Why? Because he knows that's his niche. He did his research beforehand. He didn't just go willy-nilly to a networking event. Yeah. And then he talks about his passion and mission for helping these doctors get out of the golden handcuffs. And then he gives them an example and he tells them a story. That is completely different because now they're like, oh my gosh, what is that? Yeah. Think of the difference. Instead of shoving something down their throat, you're getting asked questions and you get the opportunity to share on their invitation. It's 
everything shifts. And in the digital world, if you said syndication, people would just ignore the message. But, yeah. you know, arbitrage architect, passionate about helping doctors break free of the golden handcuffs they found them, their successful life has put them in. All of a sudden, people are like, oh my gosh, what, what is that? I need to find out more. Yeah, it sounds like the difference between sort of billboard mass marketing and very strategic sniper approach where you find a group and you understand their their world and what what they need and what their pain points are and you address those pain points for that group as opposed to putting up a billboard saying I can invest your money and help you uh, you know get out of your whatever gold handcuffs or whatever it is, right? I love Absolutely. that. I love it. Absolutely. I love it. It's, man. it's the difference from I do real estate to if you're a doctor or a surgeon stuck in the life that's actually pretty successful that nobody else feels sorry for you, but I want you to know I get you're struggling <laughs> yeah, and yeah. this is what I can help you do. It just shifts everything. I mean, you think about, you know, my personal brand. You know, I'm a, I'm a business coach. I'm a branding expert. I'm a sales systemization specialist. I work specifically with introverts. You know, I'm a neuro-linguistic programming expert. I'm too many things. And in truth, nobody cares. They don't care how hard it is that all the stuff that I learned. They don't care how long it took me to learn it. But when I say I'm the rapid growth guy and I work exclusively with introverted service providers to obtain rapid growth, the simplicity of that message not only gets me heard in that crowded marketplace, for my ideal demographic, it makes people see me as the only logical choice to work with. And in truth, how does sales training even come close to defining the value I offer? How does marketing coaching come close to adding the value? I truly am. It's spiritually, it's more connected to who I am as a person than any of those words can possibly define. Yeah. And the people that are listening, they really need to ask themselves, you know, what is it? It's, what is it outside the scope of my functional skill that I can provide that adds value? And what is the higher level value of that? What is the higher level purpose of that? You know, for, you know, for Shane, it was actually creating arbitrage opportunities for, for doctors. For me, it's creating rapid growth for introverted service providers. Again, you need to say, what is the high-level benefit of me and what is the niche that will see me as the only logical choice to provide that? I love it, man. I love it. I love, too, that because I think a lot of people, like you say, you know, rapid growth, people, it doesn't strike a chord in them to say, I'm going to help you with your marketing. They want to grow. And and so you're addressing what they really really want, not the thing that the component that will sort of help support what they really really want. It's the thing they really really want. I think it's awesome. Let's talk about rapid growth um, LLC. What what ex I know you just explained it, but like if I if someone comes to you and you, you I'm at a party or a networking event, and you're like, hey, and you give me that pitch you just gave you. This is what I do, and I say, great. So how how do we work together? How does that how does that happen? Oh, by the way, if you're at a networking event and somebody says that. That's a trick. You know, I do that with my clients all the time and we're, we're kind of role-playing that and I'll, I'll let them say that. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I need that. How do I work with you? And of course, the first time they're always like, oh, thanks for asking. And they'll start explaining. And then I'm like, yeah. oh, John, it was great to see you. I'm so, I haven't seen you in forever. And I show how quickly at networking events, yeah. you know, somebody else can walk in and break the sales process. 100%. So networking is not about selling. It's about setting up meetings to sell in the future. And it's about, having relationships with momentum partners and champions that can help further your work. As soon as you start selling in networking events, everything goes wrong. So if you had have asked me that question, I would have, I would have said, Mike, that, that's ter you know, terrific that you feel like what I, what I do is something that might interest you. You know, 
while I'm sure you didn't come here to talk about this sort of stuff, though, I'm sure you're here to meet other people as well. And also, I'd really like to understand a little bit more about kind of what you're doing, just to make sure that, you know, what I do might be a fit for you. So why don't we take a moment to, to set, I mean, the great thing about having iPhones these days is why don't we set up a time, you know, just, just now we can work out a time to, to have a local coffee, or we can just have a Zoom chat. What, what would be better for you? Again, double bind. Do you want to meet in person or do you want to catch up on Zoom? Then we would set that time and then I would get back to talking social or find a reason to go talk to someone else because you are now going to buy if I get given a great time to run a full sales script with you. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant, dude. That's so, it's so important. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that, I just want to, man, you, that is such gold and people have to realize if you're taking notes, if you're in your car, whatever, make a note of this in your head at the very least. Networking events are not intended to be sales pitch opportunities. You're you're 100% right. I've been at so many events where I'm having a conversation and it gets interrupted. And I think, oh, if I would have had more one-on-one time with this person, it could have been a lot more impactful. But I think it's counterintuitive because especially people who are desperate for sales. Someone says, I'm interested in working with you. How do we work together? It's like, bam, you're trying to sell them right there. And that's, that's intuitive for salespeople sometimes. But to know to tap the brakes and to create an opportunity that will be much higher success rate if you do it that way than to do it right where you are with a million people coming and pulling you in different directions. I love that. I love it. You know, what's what's interesting? I tell a story in in the book about one event where I really just got to Austin and I I really wanted clients. I I needed a few wins, right? I just built this methodology and I needed a few wins. And I I, I still do this. I I go to, you know, uh, less financially, you know, people that all little areas that have less financial ability to afford coaching. Mm-hmm. And I'll just go and give up a couple of hours every month just to give some people some assistance. And I I did that at one of these events. And I, I went to a, a group called First Looks in Austin. And, you know, it was you go and help people for 15 minutes, just giving them some advice. And, you know, a lot of these people have great ideas, but I have no idea how to get them started. Yeah. And one of them shows up and it turns out that they are both working at Oracle, earning hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. They just bought a franchise and they wanted advice, like a dream client for somebody that's just getting started. This was years ago. And about seven minutes into our 15 minutes, he said, they both stopped. They said, Matt, how do we hire you? Now I had seven minutes to sell at that point. (laughs) And I could have taken the opportunity to do that. Instead, I said, look, I'm really here to give back at the moment. And this really isn't the place for this. So if you'd like to talk about how you and I might work together, I'm happy to do that. Maybe tomorrow you can email me and we can chat or I'll text you and we can set up a time to meet even as early as tomorrow. But today I'm really here in a give back focus and I hope that's okay. Now they had a conversation on the way home and they both agreed that if they could hire me for less than $10,000 within the, you know, uh, then they would, they're both going to agree to work together. Now to put that play out in your head, if I had a pitch them there and then they wouldn't have had that conversation agreed on the budget and it would have been harder to sell. But also they had developed so much respect for me because I pushed back on them and said, no, thank you. This is not the time for that. That they also said that they kind of agreed on that number because of the way I handled that, that I seemed to be indifferent. I wasn't desperate. Even though at that stage, I was kind of desperate for a little bit of self-assurance that what I was selling yeah. Was, was valuable. So yeah. you do have to understand that, and it's not pushing the brakes 
in in real terms, it's giving yourself an opportunity to actually close the deal. Because what you've got to realize is that sales is a series of steps. Like in my first book, I talk about that sales is a series of steps. And if you miss one of them, and in networking, what you've done is you've kind of told a story. If you're doing it well, you've spoken about your passion and mission, you've told a story. And then if they ask you about that, you've kind of already broken the sales process. Things are out of order, which means you have to miss things and do them out of order. The chances of you succeeding are incredibly small in the networking room because you could get interrupted or and just because the sales pitch is going to be wrong. But secondly, three or four minutes in to your sales pitch, they're going to be like, why is this guy still talking? I thought this was going to be an easy question. But when you meet up for coffee or a Zoom call, they've got a scheduled 30 minutes. And now they're feeling like they're developing rapport and relationship. So everything has, the sales part has to happen later. And trust me, you will obtain their respect by doing so. So there are little rules, but I, I, I know the plight. I mean, when you have somebody, especially if you're a really bad networker and you haven't got a networking system, like when I go networking, everybody says they either want to work with me or they want to, you know, help share relationships or that they want to champion my work. But when I, you know, when you first start, nobody says any of that stuff. Like most of it is like, oh, I sell insurance. Oh my God, how do I get away from you? As you can see in their eyes. You yeah. know, I've worked with insurance, actually worked with an insurance person we turned into the hustle life lifeguard, working exclusively with small business owners, changed his entire business. But until he started calling himself that, every every time he spoke to someone, he saw their eyes scream, oh gosh, I'm going to get away from you. And that meant that anytime somebody even inkling, you know, gave him an inkling of I'm interested, he was like, oh, I've got to hold on to you for dear life. Now, (laughs) you know, you think about a guy that, you know, is, you know, is clinging to a girl all the time. The girl's not going to want to date that person. It's the same in sales. They see that desperation. You've got to remember that the best chance of success is to understand that when you do get an inkling of interest, to push that interest away and set it up for a meeting. And as soon as you do that, you'll start closing so, so more many deals. Yeah, that's great desperation stinks. It does have a smell and it's not a good smell. Nobody likes it. Uh, That's so funny. I I think that that's like, man, that's such a universal theme, that whole like, if you get this little bit of interest, kind of pull away. It's it's natural for people to want something that they can't have. And if they feel like they can't have it right then, it it does increase the interest. Those guys who are driving home, not only did they have time to come up with a budget, they also probably thought, who is this guy that won't take our money immediately when we offer to work with them? Like, wow, it's just a psychological thing. People want what they can't have and you become something they can't have and therefore they want it, right? So that's brilliant, man. I love that. So you you also have a podcast. We touched on it briefly. You mentioned a few folks that you interviewed. Now you're an introvert. I'm an introvert. Uh, Why in in the world are we on podcasts talking when we don't have to talk? Why would we do that? Well, I guess gluttons for punishment, right? No, <laughs> exactly. so I think that the thing is, I mean, I love speaking. I love running my podcast. I, I, I love selling. I love networking. As I said, it just draws my energy. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I released a whole series of segments, you know, all, all, all in one go, you know, over the course of, you know, I, I think I launched eight when we launched the podcast and then a few more after that, you know, to keep into the new and noteworthy. And then we, you know, we relaxed it off. But the thing is that I did those all in the space of three days. I did one hour back-to-backs. Eight, uh, you know, eight interviews a day for three days straight. So yeah. we had a huge smorgasbord of interviews. You know, today, you know, you're my second interview of the day. I have five. And at the end of that, I have planned collapse time because that's what I'll yeah. do. Yeah. But the truth is that, you know, I, you know, when I, if I did an interview in the morning and then didn't do a whole series of interviews, no creative work's going to happen today, yeah. right? Because my creative brain is, is on vacation as soon as I do a podcast interview. Yeah. 
But you know, the introvert's edge to, to networking really focuses on it, it focuses on me interviewing what I call introverted titans. And the reason why I call that is everyone keeps, even before my books came out, I felt like there were a lot of great books out there, but they all focused on, oh, Paul, you, you're an introvert. Let me show you how to survive in an extroverted world. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I want to show you how to dominate in an introvert world. Yeah. So the thing is that as soon as we stop believing that pesky gift of gab rubbish, then we can succeed. So the podcast, what it really does is it focuses on these introverted titans, people like the founder of Ugg Boots, you know, billion-dollar founder of the sheepskin boot company we all love, right? He's an introvert, and he started by doing door-to-door sales, um, you know, selling his sheepskin boots door-to-door, right? I talk about, you know, people like um, Jason Cohen, the founder of WP Engine, and how he founded his whole organization and how he went back to just being the CTO and hiring his own CEO, Mm. Because he didn't, he wasn't egocentric, and that person does a better job in his mind. And he yeah. loves doing the CTO stuff, and it allows him to fund all these other businesses that he's doing. Yeah. But he gets to still make great money. He still owns the shop, right? So yeah. what I try to do is in this is I focus on the introverted hurdles that they faced, how they overcame them, the strategies that they learned and they employ every day to be successful. And at the end, I ask them what they consider their introvert's edge. And it's really interesting. You know, I know we talked about you know empathy and active listening, but some of the things that come out of that question blow me away at what people think and their introverts edge. And trust me, they're all things that extroverts could not copy if they tried without a huge (laughs) amount of training. That's amazing. That's amazing. Matthew, I'm telling you, you are really a fun guest to interview. I've never had anyone on my show that spoke to some of the things that I don't talk about very often. Not because I'm ashamed. It just doesn't come up that often. And uh, you really speak to some things that I really thought was unique to me, but it's not. So thank you for doing that. Guys, go grab The Introvert's Edge as well as The Introvert's Edge to networking, his books. Go check out his podcast, Introvert's Edge. Uh, is there a website or any, any place else that people could or get a hold of you if, you if they want to, any place you want to direct them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so my my new book, The Introvert's Edge to Networking, comes out on January 19th, which is only a few days away. But I always, my publisher hates me when I say this. You don't need to buy the book. Go down to theintrovertsedge.com forward slash networking, and you can download the first chapter. That'll get you over the hurdle of whether or not you can and can't network, and it'll outline the system. And in theintrovertsedge.com, you can get the first chapter of the sales process as well. And, you know, I always tell people, if you just put everything in order the way I suggest, take out what doesn't fit because you shouldn't be saying that to customers and then fill in the gaps, then you'll double your sales in the next 60 days. But I'll go one step further. If you go to matthewpollard.com forward slash growth, those people are like, oh, Matt wants me to hire him to get a unified message. You don't need to hire me for that. If you go to that website, what you'll be able to do is I give away a five-step template where it'll allow you to create your own unified message and discover your niche of willing to buy clients. You know, I did it at the National Freelance Conference about a year ago now and literally 200 people in the room. And at the end, I said, you know, put your hand up if you now have a unified message to excite and inspire and you've identified a niche of willing to buy clients. 97% of the room put their hands up. The sad part was when I asked the second question, keep your hands up if this is the most time you spent on marketing in your business since you started your business, like 85% of the room kept their hands up. So this template will work for you what I would recommend that everybody does is that they 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 get a friend that's not from their industry so you don't fall into industry jargon yeah. and get them to listen to this podcast. If they're not listening to it anyway, I'm sure they'll enjoy it. Get them to listen to this episode and then say, 
I want to spend an hour working on your unified message and niche, and then you spend an hour working on mine. And by the end of that session, you'll be profoundly better off. And then when you go to the, you know, check out my first book and my second book, you'll not only have the message and the niche, you'll have the strategy. But obviously, if you do buy my book, The Introvert's Edge to Networking covers those specific strategies in a lot more detail. Okay. Like you said, that book's coming out in a few days. So guys, you can check that out. We will put all those links you just said, by the way, in the show notes. So if you're driving, if you're on a treadmill, that's fine. We're going to have it for you there. Go check it out. Matthew, this has been a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate your time. You're an incredible speaker. Obviously, it shows through. And it was just a ton of fun covering this topic for the first time on my podcast. Over 400 interviews. It's the first time I've covered this topic. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being a guest. And thank you for your time. Mate, it was my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right. We'll see you next time. All right. That was a lot of fun. I don't talk about my introvertedness that often. But uh, it's interesting. When you talk to someone who has... You know, something like that that they're dealing with. Being an introvert is uh, not like a bad thing, but it it does come up when you're in a social situation sometimes, and it it can affect your ability to feel confident. So I think it's really cool. And he talked about some stuff that I just didn't know other people dealt with really that much. Um, Specifically, that whole like, you know, going out and stuff and not having any downtime. Man, for those of you who are introverts out there, you know what downtime means. It's very important to recharge that battery. So. Uh, and, and honestly, I can tell you that Matthew seemed like not only really, really in tune with that whole introvert, you know, kind of a mindset, but I can tell he's a really good salesperson. Like he had some incredible, I had some incredible takeaways and he had some incredible points that he made about, you know, like the networking thing, like, Hey, networking is not an opportunity to, to necessarily close the sale. It's an opportunity to set up the opportunity to close the sale. And I think those kind of gems that he was dropping is huge. Even if you're not an introvert, like you should not be be doing that at a networking event. And you should set that up so you have a proper uh, opportunity to really set yourself up for the, for the best possible outcome in those, in those cases. So just a world of knowledge. I really enjoyed it. I actually, I stopped the interview and this was, I, I do buy the books of the, the guests that I have on quite often, but this was the first time I stopped the interview. And before I even like completely wrapped up this, this process of the interview, uh, I was uh, ordering his book um, on, uh, on Audible. So uh, anyways, I, I'm really impressed with him. I thought he was awesome. I hope you guys got a lot out of that. I think it was a really fun episode. And I think hopefully it was going to help some of you who are struggling with the whole networking and, and the sales side of it because uh, he definitely has that dialed in. But listen, it, it, part of it is just getting out there and doing it, right? You can listen to his strategies and techniques and kind of learn from him, but you have to get out there and do it. You have to go, man. Now is the time. Get out there and do it. Don't wait. Don't wait for anything. Just go and make it happen for yourself. And we'll see you next time. Go make today a great day. Okay. You're still there. You're still listening. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that. Now, hopefully it wasn't an accident. Hopefully you didn't leave the room and I'm just talking to an empty room right now. But assuming you're still there, I want to do something really, really cool for you. For a limited time, I want to give you a free digital download of my book, the entire book, Level Jumping. If you're a listener to the show, you know it just came out and it really details how I took my business from being like one where I was just doing a few deals a month, maybe one or two deals a month, to doing over 10 and sometimes 15 deals a month and over a hundred a year. And I went from doing very little profit to over a million dollars in profit. And I made that transformation in a 12 month period. And this book talks about what I did, the steps I took to transform my business and how you can too. So grab a free digital 
digital download, and you can get that by texting the words just start. That's two words now. Just start to the number 55444. So text just start to 55444. I will send you a free digital download of my book. It's the complete book. There's nothing held back, and that'll be completely yours just for making it to the end of the show and listening to me. And I really, really appreciate it, guys. So I want to do something nice for you. I do this every once in a while at the end of shows. And if you listen to the very end, every once in a while, I do a giveaway like this. So hopefully you enjoy that. Go grab a free copy. I hope you read it. I hope you love it. Reach out. Let me know what you think. All right, guys. Talk to you next time.